You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus, starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Join me for this episode's co-host, Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Uh, also, Said Ben Troop was going to be in this episode. Still waiting for Ben Troop to, to, to come along. He had a speaking engagement, running a little bit late. We'll try and get him in here when he's available. But, uh, Will, plenty, plenty to discuss, uh, whether we get Troop or not. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's it's lying season. Absolutely. With everything closed off and sort of everybody fighting for bits and scraps in terms of what's going on in the scrimmage. But uh, but Mullen was able to talk a little bit. I'm sure we'll talk about that some and, and certainly a lot to be excited about. Football season's only a couple of weeks away. And, uh, you know, the preseason football comes on in the NFL. And I mean, let's be honest, the preseason games are terrible, but they are sort of an indication of what's to come. And then you turn on the SEC network and you get to see Georgia blow in a national championship or or mm-hmm. or, <laughs> or or something ridiculous or Florida hitting a wheel route 14 times. And, and again, it gets the juices flowing. So excited to be here. It's fun to talk to Gators, especially this time of year. Yeah. Well, big week for Gators Breakdown anyway. Uh, five years. Five-year anniversary for Gators Breakdown. So uh, it's been a been a wild, crazy ride, uh, bigger than I can ever imagine. Uh, and we've created a really big, great community here. That's, you know, it was probably the outset of something I wanted to do when I started Gators Breakdown. Uh, and you know, it was a fan's podcast. Still is a fan's podcast. And uh, it uh, – I think we've created a, a pretty good community more that, you know, that's uh, that's what we can call it. It's become a community there on Twitter, Gators Breakdown Plus, YouTube, the YouTube chat's kicking every week there. So guys, thank you very much for you guys listening live right now, but five years of Gators Breakdown. Will, you've been a part uh, of most of it uh, there. So I uh, want thank you to you as well uh, for going out there. This thing is, uh, this thing's alive and kicking, my friend. 
Yeah, man. I appreciate you bringing me on. It's only been four for me. So you were yeah. doing this for a year before I got on. And then I, I think the first time I came on was when I wrote an article about why Luke Del Rio should be the starter. So I'm, I'm shocked you had me back. And, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I've, I've hit, a, I've hit on a few as well. So, you know, we, that sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong, but uh, it's been fun, right? I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you never expect sort of the things you're going to get out of something like this, but the friendships and, and the community and, you know, the, the people we go meet and tailgate with when it's time for football season to come and just the people who reach out to us. It's great. I mean, we, the, the participation of everybody who listens and, and watches and supports us is, is really one of the things that makes this special. So thank you to everybody out there and thank you for having me on. Yeah. Another milestone. We will hit it probably with this episode. I'll let Will know. 3 million lifetime listens and views as well. So big week here on Gators Breakdown. Will, for all kind of numbers, five years, 3 million listens, views, whatever, however you view Gators Breakdown, however you consume Gators Breakdown, uh, another milestone there. So uh, we'll keep racking them up. Yeah, man, you, you can go in the other room after this is over and just like swim in your money like Scrooge McDuck <laughs> from all the views, that the, the, the all the cash those views are bringing to there, buddy. Oh, if only. <laughs> if only. Upgrade equipment, though. Got the studio looking good, so here we go. Everybody knows, hey, Will sign. Look at Will. If you're watching YouTube, Will, Will with the sign there, too, the, the LED read reaction. Will, let everybody know about that one. Yeah, man, Dave Soderquist, one of his friends, Brandon White, from White & Sons Wood Carving. So at WS Wood Carving on Twitter, he does these signs. They saw him doing a Georgia Bulldog, and I said, uh-uh, we got to get something in that. Uh, that, that Georgia guy's got to start making some Florida stuff. So he's been making some Florida signs, too. Go over, check him out on Twitter. He's it's a, he's a good guy, and uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I have the sign. The kids came down the other day and saw it. We're like, oh, cool. And It looks like a neon sign, but it's actually done with wood carving, so it's pretty cool. Somebody said, Brian Corso, look, you have a neon hat on. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, need, I need to upgrade the camera like you do, buddy. You can, now you can go hatless. You can go clean shaven because bit. you got the nice HD camera there. But here's the thing. When I, usually when I wear a hat, it's because I'm too lazy and it's not shaved. So when I shave, I can, I can, I can, go, I can go with no hat. Yeah, I, I, I can't. Do, I can't do that. It, it, it's an extra light, that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, that, 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 that's because you're skinny. When you're overweight like me, and you shave your head, it just looks ridiculous. So, you know, we'll we'll, we'll stick with the hat for me. All right, all right. So there we go. Still waiting on Ben True, but we'll get into the conversation uh, here of uh, the scrimmage. What Dan Mullen had to say after in the scrimmage, following up the scrimmage with his thoughts. Uh, the scrimmage was Sunday night. Dan Mullen spoke on the following day, that Monday around five o'clock. So plenty. Uh, that we got to uh, needle Dan Mullen about. Uh, he said we, you know, we had to ask about specifics, and once he let us know that, there we go. We started asking some specifics. So uh, a lot to get into here. Uh, so, Will, the the big news and great news: no new injuries after Jaden Hill. You know, that's what you want to hear. No new injuries for the Gators coming out of this, uh, out, of this out of the scrimmage. So just bumps and bruises. That's the best news of it all, right there. Wrapping up the installation phase, and uh, this week you see where uh, this is what Mullen was saying. I got some sound bites from him coming up, uh, but our three-minute limit, I got to kind of paraphrase what he was saying along the way as well. He goes, uh, wrapping up installation phase, uh, this week you see where everyone is at. You get into situational football and apply the things they have installed. Apply it to situations now and see how guys continue to grow and develop. says he viewed things very differently as far as how they evaluate things. A lot of guys who have played a lot of football 
a lot of times those guys are working on getting themselves ready to play. Other guys are getting ready to show that they can make the plays and actually get on the field and contribute in some form or fashion. So he says scrimmages are a, a, you know, part of the big picture of the evaluation. Uh, if guys do really well in practices but then struggle in scrimmages at the stadium, are they scared of playing under the lights? And vice versa, if they do really well in the swamp and aren't really performing consistently in practice, how do they fix that? Uh, so, you know, Mullen asked if there was a side of the ball that won the scrimmage. He doesn't view it that way, just performance performance and execution. Uh, they're working on certain things. He's less concerned about an offense or a defense winning in the scrimmage uh, than, you know, making sure they you know, get out of what they uh, what they want to work on. As he said, he's not going out there and running a quarterback or blitzing the defense just to go win the scrimmage. Work on the aspects that need to be worked on. And, Will, that's probably, you know, I brought that up yesterday as well uh, in, in the scrimmage notes that I had. Situational football at scrimmages, they're working on certain things. It's not like they're going out there four quarters, a halftime, 15-minute quarters and playing offense versus defense. You know, these things are pretty controlled, pretty set up, and they're going to work on certain aspects of the game they want to see more of. Yeah, well, I mean, and the quarterbacks can't run too, right? Which I think yeah. is one of the big things that you start thinking about when you when you think about the the way these scrimmages are is that, you know, last year with Kyle Trask, I think the offense is going to dominate because Trask was able to sort of take advantage of those scrimmage situations. And Murray Jones and Anthony Richardson are different players. So I, I think, you know, getting too up in arms about a scrimmage, particularly one that's relatively closed and you're just sort of hearing bits and pieces about um, – isn't isn't really that big a deal and like you said the big thing is is coming out of there with just bumps and bruises not coming out of it with any more significant injuries because when you think about it Mullen's tenure at Florida other than the Felipe Franks injury has been pretty pretty injury free and I'm not saying there's going to be a rash of injuries but you figure two three four guys who are starters are going to miss significant time each year and we haven't really had that and so you know this year might be a year where the depth gets tested because of it and uh, you know you hope not but at the same time to be able to come out of a scrimmage and say everybody's healthy and we're ready to go and ready to go back to practice and everybody's going to get those reps right so the people that you want to see prove that they're ready to go on the field and also the people that you want to see sort of are getting ready for the season um, both of those sets of players are going to be getting plenty of reps because you don't have anybody who's injured or limited all right first time i've ever done this will tweeting live that florida got to commit there we go so it happens david connor Commits to the Gator 6'6, 285, 285 pound offensive lineman. Wingspan of 80 plus inches, says Corey Bender in his tweet that he tagged me in. Uh, so there we go. Got to commit uh, right here on Gators Breakdown. We'll get into, we'll get into that uh, maybe another episode this week, maybe tomorrow or something like that. Um, you know, trying to still get Ben in here and then, um, or whatever. But first time I ever had to do that live. Well, there we go. Getting a <laughs> commitment while we're live on uh, Gators Breakdown. Uh, so hey. uh, pretty good. Yeah, man. Hey, it's it's good to see that they're bringing people in. There have been a couple of commits the, this this past week, obviously, with EJ yep. Lightsey as well. Um, you know, offers for Connor from Kansas, Mississippi State, South Carolina, USF. So this isn't somebody who's really being pursued heavily. It doesn't look like by Alabama or Ohio State or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, you could say the same thing about Ethan White a couple of years ago. You could say the same thing about Kinsley Guacquin. Um, so there have been some offensive linemen who I think we're going to see get significant playing time this year who fit that mold. And and to be honest, offensive linemen usually take two or three years to get them to where you really want them to be out there and perform um, at, at the level you need them to perform to. So Connor, a, bit, a piece for Florida moving forward, and, and it's good to see them adding to the 2022 class. 
Yep, especially at the offensive line position, a need for the Gators to get some depth there. Of course, missing on some of the bigger targets uh, out there. It's moving down the board uh, are the Gators, but I uh, get one. And Connor, Connor was kind of on the board a little bit before anyway, and I'm not saying they would have taken him uh, a month, two months ago, but I know it's starting to hear, it was starting to hear the name even before Florida was starting to miss out on some of the bigger targets uh, out there. So new commitment for the Gators there, and like I said, we'll probably get into it. Uh, later this week here on Gators Breakdown. So, all right, Will, coming out of Dan Mullis' press conference on Monday after the scrimmage, made headlines with all the quarterback talk. I mean, look, quarterback's going to get their headlines and all the topic garners in, in, anyway, but um, some interesting and some detailed um, dive-ins there from Dan Mullen. And then uh, we'll start with Dan, Dan Mullen and um, summarize Dan Mullen, everything he had to say uh, about Emory Jones, or most of what he had to say about Emory Jones, and here's what Dan Mullen had to say. One of the things we're always on him is consistency of performance, and but you also have to play to his strengths. He's going to make some explosive plays out there, you know, and you want kind of consistency and efficiency all the time. And, and that might not be his game every play. You know, he's, he he's going to miss some, some things here and there. Uh, but he's going to make some explosive things on the other side of it, if that makes sense. You know, and, you know, all, all of a sudden you're like, boy, you know, I, I, we, I, we got to hit that 90% of the time, you know, and, and he might be in the 80% of the times hitting something. But there's other things he, do, he can do that is so electric and, and that he can create uh, that you, want, you don't want to kind of box him in. You want to let him play to his strengths. I think it's playing to the strengths because you still have to make the unspectacular plays. You know, you still have to manage the offense, you know, and take what they give you, uh, if you will, you know. And, and you know, so that, that gets into uh, making the simple plays on a consistent basis. And that's how that works. And so your quarterbacks always have to do that. You know, I mean, guys, guys sit there and say, okay, hey, I want to just, you know, I'm going to launch the ball deep every single play. Well, and if you're giving you triple coverage, can you better be able to check the ball down as well? And so I think that's part of it, of being able to make sure that's more managing the offense uh, in that way. You know, and a guy like Emery, the same way, he's got to do a good job managing the offense. And, you know, you're going to miss on uh, one or two things here or there to take some other things. It's all playing to his strengths. You know, I think he's a very different quarterback than the guy we had last year. I mean, extremely different does some things way better some things not as good and hard to compare those two because we're going to give him some more leeway you know what I mean of uh you know there's times I don't want him to get through the progression you know I'm on him you know a lot of times in camp you have that fine line where you're like hey make sure you're going to stand in the pocket you're not allowed to run go through the progression then you got to flip it back the other way for him which is like go bro you know what I mean if they're in this coverage and you they give you a lane I mean there's you're going to run until the, till the, you know, you just till you get to the band. I don't need Emory to ever be like Kyle. I need Emory to be like Emory, and my job is to make get the best Emory I can get. Best Emory he can get, Will, and you know it sounds like to me, you know, all before that, just probably dealing with some inconsistencies there uh, with with Emory Jones is what it sounds like. But it sounds like the good is good and really good. And then, you know, you got to get through. Uh, my thing is it's probably the nuance, the little things that Emory Jones has got to work on to be a more consistent quarterback. Part of that probably is pre-snap stuff. You know, are you getting the team in the right read? Are you making the right checks? Uh, are you getting, getting the offense into the right play to get the offense going? Uh, another thing that was kind of brought up, too, and he goes, they, they chart all the conversion percentages and how they can stress defenses in different ways, understanding what effect he has on the defense and how best to scheme it to take advantage. 
And that's part of the comparison to Kyle Trask. The defense is going to play Emory Jones a whole lot different. They're not going to be dropping eight in the covers like they were for Kyle Trask last year. If they do that, you'll take that in a heartbeat. Emory Jones will go for 10, 12 yards over and over again. So, uh, of course, defenses are going to have to respect Emory Jones' legs. So that's that in and of itself is going to make this offense different, different is because of how defenses play Emory Jones. But, Will, going back to kind of the beginning of the soundbite, it just sounds like uh, consistency is the main, um, the main calling card for Emory Jones right now. Yeah, it'd be interesting to go back to the offseason before 2019 and see whether that's the exact same thing we were hearing about Felipe Franks. Because I think that might actually be a pretty apropos comparison, considering yeah. that, um, you know, both of those guys have big time arms. Franks had an enormous cannon. Emory Jones has a really good arm, but I think the consistency with Franks in 2018 was the thing that worried everybody, again, that his highs were high and his lows were really low against Georgia and Missouri that year. And so, you know, that, that I think is what we're probably in for with, with a guy like Emory Jones or a guy like Anthony Richardson, if they brought him in, is that you're going to have some, you're going to have people who are inconsistent. We saw that last year, right? Especially on the defensive side of the ball. Guys like Diabate, who haven't had a lot of time playing linebacker, especially early in the year, some pretty low lows, and then some highs as the season went along. Um, obviously, we would have liked to have seen some more highs on offense or on defense last year, but, uh, um, at the same time, I think that, uh, there were a lot of guys on the squad that showed flashes last year, and consistency is the thing that we're looking for this year. And I think that's sort of the same thing with Emory Jones, is that you know, based on the fact that he could run the ball and run the ball well, even when the defense knew he was running the ball, that that part of his game is going to be there. The question is, what can you add to that so that the running is even more devastating? Because Mullen's point about, hey, if they give you a lane go, is a really good point from the standpoint of – you need to be prepared to take advantage of that sort of thing. At the same time, oftentimes you can understand whether that lane's going to be there based on the coverage and based on your route concept. And so knowing when your route concept will present that opportunity to run is one of those things that he's going to pick up. And, and, and you know, if you're a little bit late, the, the defensive end trips you up. And so those are some things, e even just from the standpoint of one read and go, those are some things that I think it's really interesting to hear Mullen say that, that he's kind of has to teach him not to go through the progressions because of his go. athletic ability. Whereas last year, every time we saw a quarterback draw, we were like, what are they doing? <laughs> it's like, yeah, don't give the defense time to react. If you got it, go. I mean, so yeah, I like, I like that point as well. It's like, Hey, part of now, part of it is now you got to learn when to be able to go through your progressions because you may not need to every time just because it's a pass play. I mean, running the ball is one of your progressions is really what he's saying, right? right. Is that right. Kyle Trask running right. the ball was like the last option in, <laughs> in everything that you wanted him to do. That was, in fact, that he, was, that was progression read number six. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, they'd run read options every once yeah. in a while and Trask would keep the ball and he'd go around the corner. You're like, Oh, it's wide open. And man, would it close slowly? And, <laughs> and that's not going to be the case this year, which means a lot of other things are going to open. Right. And, and yep. so I think that's the thing is that once you establish that you're going to take off, if they give you something early, then they have to close off those lanes. And when they close off those lanes and start pinching, well, that's going to open up some opportunities in the passing game and open up the opportunity for you get to you to get to your second read or your third read. You know, if they put a linebacker to spy on you, they can't cover the wheel route. So, you know, there, there are some things that well, I think. They can't cover it anyway. 
<laughs> well, you know, but uh, <laughs> yes, you are correct. No, but it, it's it's going to be interesting to see, right? It, the defenses yeah. are going to have to do things that are different. Jones is going to have to understand that running is one of his progressions and that sometimes that's the second thing you do when you drop back. Sometimes it's the fourth or the fifth, depending upon what you're trying to accomplish, depending upon the game plan, depending upon the route concept, and depending upon the defense that's presented to you. And and that is a lot for somebody even three years into the program to to – to absorb, especially when you haven't had a ton of live action where the defense is scheming for you. Because when Emory Jones has come in, it's not like they've had a spy on him to try and prevent him from running when he drops back in the pocket. They've kind of played it like he's a like he's a wildcat running back while yeah. still kind of playing man-to-man and maybe like a single high safety to help out. They're going to play much more varied defenses this year, and so he's going to need to be able to look at that, understand what the defense is doing, read the safeties, you know, figure out did the safety shift post snap and does that change what he's going to do? All those sorts of things. And those are things you only learn with time and only learn by getting into the game. And so, you know, I think those are some things that hopefully over the last three years he's been able to pick up the concepts. And now as things speed up when you get in the game, then is he going to be able to sort of transfer that onto the field? And that's what these scrimmages are for. They want to see how Emory reacts to a safety moving before the snap. <laughs> you know, it's, that's what that's the things they're working on uh, right now, going to Will's point there. We haven't got to see it in game time, so the scrimmages are the, the points they're going to have to be made. And, Will, I, I'd like to go back and chart it now. you got an idea in my head. I, I need to go back and look at how many passing, just say passing situation, down in distance, Emory Jones has been in his first three years. It's yeah, it's pretty – it's pretty limited. I went back and yeah. charted. I don't have the number in front of me. It's something like uh, it, it's something like 40, 40, 45 passes, something like that. And yeah. the downfield passes have been mostly on the outside. They've been mostly deeper throws. And so if but you look, my, I guess my point is, has it been a a down where you know he has to pass it? Is, has it been a third and seven? Only against Auburn. You know, yeah, the, right. the, and, and that that I think is the thing that gives all of us hope, right? Is that mm-hmm. is is that not only the running of the ball, but that he came into that Auburn game pretty cold when you think about it. Could have been very disappointed that his job, that the backup job was Kyle Trask's, right? Not his. Trask gets injured. Looks like it's going to be a serious knee injury. Sort of the air deflates from Florida and uh, from Florida and the fan base there when Trask goes down because we kind of knew what we had with Trask at that point. And uh, and all of a sudden, Emory Jones comes in, drives him right down the field, gets him a field goal, gives Trask enough time to come back out. Florida's able to pull that one out. So, you know, I think that's the only time I can recall him having really third and seven where he completed it. There were a couple against LSU that year in 2019 in the, Bur- in the Burrow shootout where he wasn't able to connect. And there were a couple of quick drives where, you know, everybody then afterwards said, well, why wasn't Trask in there? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, probably last year in the bowl game, too, so. Yeah, a little bit. No, no. You know, it's funny. You look at his statistics, and they're not all that impressive. But then you actually watch the film. There were a bunch of balls he put on people's hands that just didn't right. get brought in. Same as Trask, right? Trask had the same problem, and Trask didn't play real well. But at the same time, some of those, some of those drives stalled because balls hit guys right in the hands and got dropped. There were a couple of deep throws to shorter in that game that that got dropped that probably don't change the outcome of the game, but certainly could have changed the complexion right. of the game, and uh, and would have certainly changed the stat line when you look at the quarterback. Well, I'll go to uh, I'll go to Captain Tripp's comment right here. He goes, Emory doesn't work out. We have a heck of a backup plan. Well, we'll get into that right now. And Dan Mullen's comments unprovoked, basically, on uh, Anthony Richardson. Brought him up himself. He said he was surprised uh, that we didn't ask about ask about Anthony Richardson. But there was still some time left in the uh, in the press conference. I'm sure Richardson probably would have been asked about. But uh, 
Dan Mullen unprovoked, starting with uh, Anthony Richardson. Anthony's doing an unbelievable job. Anthony had a huge night last night. Made a lot of great decisions, very accurate. I think threw three touchdown passes. Uh, obviously, is a dynamic runner as well, making good decisions. So, I mean, I feel very comfortable with both guys, and which is a good thing. Uh, it helps. I, I think it, it helps in the way that they have similar skill sets, uh, even though they're a little bit different in their sets and what they do well, but their their similarities in their ability to create, uh, both with great arm talent and their ability to create and extend plays with their legs. Uh, you know, it allows you to, you don't have to have a one package or this package, and you can kind of coach in a similar style of, you see this look, don't be afraid to take off running, you know, and, and uh, you know, or, or if they give you this, take it right away. You know, I mean, there's there's things, hey, if they give us this look, we want to take this play every time because, you know, this is a problem for them. And both of them have that skill set that they can execute. it. Those with the skill set, similar skill set, Will, so you don't, you know, look, this isn't, this isn't Trask and Emery's coming in. <laughs> this is Emery and, and AR coming in and, uh Look, yeah, he's right. You don't you don't have to change the offense a whole lot. Uh, you know, the experience is the, is the biggest thing uh, between the two. That's the, the biggest difference, and, and you know, a size difference as well. But you're going to run the same offense with Embry Jones and Anthony Richardson. Not a lot of change there uh, when one takes over for the other. So um, three touchdowns in the scrimmage, will, um, and that will speak. Like I said, we don't know the situation. They could have been working on red zone drills for some of it, and you know the. The drive started on the twenty-yard line, for all we know. So, like I said, you take take so take this stuff with a grain of salt. But it is good when you hear Anthony Richardson throwing three touchdown passes. Uh, and there was one in the uh, video uh, that Florida sent out too. That I think we saw Emory one with Copeland, I believe, and then um, uh, Richardson to Whittemore or Weston or something like that. But I know there was, those were two of his uh, touchdown throws. Right there, but yeah, I, I like the fact you know Mullen there saying yeah you don't have to change the offense no matter who it is no matter the experience Anthony Richardson's ready to go he can run the same offense Henry Jones runs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I actually have an article coming out tomorrow on Anthony Richardson, looking at some of the tape from Oklahoma, looking at some of his high school stats and asking that very question, right? Is he ready to take over the reins if something were to happen to Emory Jones or or is he ready to win the job? Um, it's been interesting. You know, Mullen did this at SEC Media Days, too. He sort of went out of his way to say that, it, that the quarterback competition was open. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, I'm sort of like, OK, this is just every position's an open competition and and that sort of stuff. And it's not really a controversy or anything like that and now he's going out of his way in a press conference to to praise the backup quarterback and whether that's to make sure that the backup quarterback knows he's he needs to be working hard or whether that's to sort of light a fire under under Emory Jones I, I don't know what the logic is or what the reasoning is but obviously Mullen feels like he needs to needs to prop up Anthony Richardson in some respects and you know maybe it has something to do with transfer portals and all that other stuff that goes on behind the scenes and you know that that the public praise is something that's part of the strategy to make sure both guys stay at the stay at the school but it, it's good to hear that Richardson's playing well but to your point I mean one I mentioned earlier they're not allowed to run two um, you don't know whether he's playing against the ones the twos or the threes on defense Three, right. I know you don't know. I know the scrimmage started one versus ones and two versus twos, but then after that, at some point, it did switch. Well, and the other thing is, is if you if you know what coverage is being played, then mm -hmm. things become a lot easier. And so, you know, we we talked earlier about Emory Jones needing to needing to be able to deal with post snap adjustments and things like that. 
that's one of the things that you have no idea as a fan what's going on when you're actually watching a scrimmage. I mean, is Grantham sort of opening up the the toolbox to try to confuse Emory Jones? And is he keeping it more vanilla when you've got Anthony Richardson out there because he needs to work on some things? Like he needs to work right. on those vanilla things. You just don't know that, right? So um, I am <laughs> – you know how you watch a recruit's highlight video and you're like, wow, that guy's really good? And then you see him, like you watch an entire game and you go, okay, I see why he's ranked a three-star. Like that's what I kind of feel like the scrimmage updates are is like, oh, this guy threw three <laughs> touchdowns. It's like, well, well you, I mean, you find out they're playing the smallest school in the city. Yeah, it's a, there, there was some <laughs> video going around on Twitter with like a, I think it was a Chinese woman who was like seven foot two and was like sixth grade or something. So yeah. you're just like dunking on everybody. I'm sitting there going, you know, sometimes it feels kind of like that where, you know, you just, you just don't know what's true and what's not. I mean, look, Emory Jones has been in this program for an extended period of time at this point. And if, if he doesn't start, I think that'd be a major upset, but I think it's good that Florida has a guy behind them who's shown an ability to step in last year against Oklahoma, but also starting to show some strides, um, as as they move into fall camp. I will say that going back and looking at the Oklahoma film does indicate that there was some work to be done for, for Anthony Richardson. Even though it was a very successful drive, you can see some things in there that Mullen would look at and they would not be charted. Um, the, the two called throws that he had, I think both would have things that, uh, that Mullen would say Richardson needs to work on. And so, you know, I don't doubt that, he, that his physical skills can get him out of some of those messes, which oftentimes is how these guys learn, right? I mean, early on, they use their physical skills to, to bail them out when they don't make the right decision, and then they learn those decisions as they go. The hope is, is that Emory Jones, because he's more advanced in the offense, because he's a little older player, um, wouldn't have those wouldn't have to do that right wouldn't have to rely on his athleticism to overcome bad reads or things like that instead he'd be able to to make the right read and then use his athleticism as an extra weapon yeah well and you kind of said something to the point this is how i'm taking it right now florida's got two good quarterbacks i'm not ready to sit here and say anthony should be the guy or anything like that you know need to see hear more doesn't mean he can't be the guy doesn't mean he won't be the guy but as of right now if florida was to play a a football game tomorrow on Wednesday of this week. Emory Jones would be the starting quarterback going out there. Now, do we see anything in the next two and a half weeks that could change that? We we we, we probably could, I and mean, we could. But as of right now, it's uh, Emory's job, and uh, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think much will come of it. I think AR will get a lot of time. I think AR will eventually be very special uh, at Florida, uh, but I don't think that's coming. I don't think that's coming too soon right now. Hey, man, put it this way. So Nick Fitzgerald averaged 6.2 yards per attempt in 2017 at Mississippi State, and they still hung 32 per game on every opponent. So, I mean, a very, very, very below average quarterback from a throwing perspective who was a pretty effective runner, and the offense still put up a ton of points. And so I'm not real worried about what Florida's offense is going to do, regardless of who the quarterback is, especially if he's capable of running the ball. Like if you told me he was choosing between – um, between somebody who was more of a drop back passer and somebody who was a who, who was a running quarterback or or had the skills to be a runner or be a threat in the run game, I'd say okay. If all things are equal, I think the running quarterback is probably better. Um, at the same time, I think uh, you know it, it's one of those things where. In this case, because you mentioned they both have the same skills, or because Mullen mentioned they both have the same skills, then I'm pretty comfortable with either one, and I'm pretty pretty confident that Mullen's going to be able to get at least 30 points per game out of these guys. Yep. I mean, I, like I'm not really concerned either. The worries that are coming out uh, of the scrimmage about Emory and, and some picks, not, I'm not worried yet, guys. I, I'm just not. You know, we'll have to, I'll have to hear more consistency 
problems. <laughs> and then, I mean, look, we've heard about consistency already. I'll have to consistently hear about problems before I'm ready to, uh, uh, you know, go, go another route there with Emory Jones and the success of this offense. I mean, I, you know, I don't think this offense is going to be, you know, elite, special, anything like that. But I do think it can be good enough uh, to get far to buy this year. Uh, and, 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 you know, still, I think, still compete for the SEC East there. Uh, and, I'll, but I'll say that with, with 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 Emory or Anthony at quarterback, just because going with to your point, Will, at least a base of a Mullen offense, it's going to have them competitive. It's going to have them in games. Now, does it have you in games versus Alabama, LSU, Georgia? That would be the big question. But I think everywhere else on the schedule, it still puts Florida favored and Florida in those games uh, with a good chance to win those games. Got to be honest, buddy. I'm far more concerned about the other side of the ball than I am the offensive <laughs> side of the ball. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's funny because you hear on Twitter or you look, you hear from different people who say the defense kind of won the scrimmage or that the offense struggled or those sorts of things. And you go, good. Yeah. <laughs> like, good. I want the defense to have some confidence. Like, throw those guys yeah. a bone. Like, you know, tell Emory to go out and make them look good. Tell them to throw throw to some of the corners when, uh, you know, go under throw some of those guys who are open. Give them some confidence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into some more offense here. And uh, Dan Mullen talked about two transfers. Will um, first year got first year guys last year. Justin Shorter, Lorenzo Lingard. Uh, Mullen was asked about Justin Shorter, and you know said he seen from him. Uh, if you ask most of the guys on the team, his work ethic is really good, uh, and he's going from the first minute of practice to the end, grinding giving everything he has. You see that in his results. He is playing much more consistently than last year. Big thing for you, Will. You already pointed out there uh, in the uh, in the bowl game, the drops there, shorter had. Uh, you want to see some more consistency of him as he's going to be a main target out there on the field now. But he's a much bigger playmaker, Dan Mullen says. Uh, he had a re- he's, he's been having a really good camp, a uh, really good scrimmage as well on Sunday night. He goes, not a surprise with how hard he works. But, Will, an interesting take uh, from this, though, said he had some hesitations with Shorter when going through the transfer portal process. What was the hesitation? He was asked. He goes, well, you know, he was a five-star transferring. He And they kind of called up there. Uh, he was being recruited when they first got to Florida, had a, had a conversation with him. Uh, he goes, anytime someone goes into the portal, the question is why? Always the initial hesitation. Um, he goes, he goes well, you know, what made him go in? Uh, well, ask the question, what made him go into the portal? He was from Jersey. He's a five-star recruit. Why was he in the transfer portal? But after getting to meet him, getting to know him, the hesitation quickly washed away. Shorter was the, shorter was the exact fit they were looking for when he become available. Yeah, I mean, that that's interesting that, that, that he'd say that. It, it's interesting because he had sort of the opposite situation this offseason with Arie Gilbert, right? And, and Kirby Smart had that same – had that same issue with Gilbert recently this past week. And obviously we hope that he ends up getting things together and, and can eventually play somewhere. But that, again, I think that's always the issue. And one of the issues with, with uh, relying on the transfer portal is that your evaluations there have to be maybe even doubly as, as uh, comprehensive as they might be for a high schooler coming out. But um, shorter, you know, showed some skills last year, I think um, dropped a few passes downfield, um didn't really the show the experience. Arkansas with the get up and get them versus Arkansas 
Yeah, didn't really sh- didn't really show a whole lot of explosiveness. I don't think. Right. You look at his yards per catch; it's relatively low compared to some of the other receivers. But they threw him a lot of those little screen passes and sort of and sort of let him go. You know, those things that are kind of like first down runs, especially since last year's team didn't run very much. So he obviously has the skill set, or at least the pedigree, based on his uh, his recruiting rankings, but hasn't shown that explosiveness yet. So I am excited to see what happens this year because um, he is a big dude. And so just having a guy who's that big that you can send downfield and say, go get it, is is something that, you know, Emory Jones is going to scramble a few times. When you've got that scramble drill going, um, if he's a guy who can get open and behind the defense, I'm not sure anybody's going to catch him. All right, next one was Lorenzo Lingard, of course. And Dan Mullen said he's taking huge strides and will make an impact this year. And look, Mullen pretty much laid it out, Will. We've done this here on Gators Breakdown to, to, to try and uh, – we threw this five deep running back room Florida has and look to get on the field. Are they executing at a high level? And this is the running back position. That's the key to playing. Dan Mullen says a lot of people just want to hand link guard the ball and tell him to run left, but you better be able to catch, know the protections, know how to read the blocking scheme to hit the hole the right way. There's a lot that goes into running back just beyond talent. Dan Mullen said, Lorenzo has worked really hard, had a good camp, but now the light has come on of understanding the other aspects of what they need from the position to play at a high level. Best thing he saw from the backs in the scrimmage was pass protection. If you can't do that or don't understand the protections, that makes it hard for them to execute offensively. It just turns the quarterback running for his life. A lot goes in that position that people don't always see. So Dan Mullen summarizing pretty much right there, Will. This is what you got to do to play running back for me. I don't care how fast you run. If you can't block, if you can't catch, if you can't help the quarterback out, you're not going to be on the field. So maybe that's a separator for all these five running backs that Florida has to find a way to get the ball in their hands. Uh, Lingard looks like he had trouble with that last year, and that's why he wasn't on the field. And throughout spring, the talk was he was the best running back all spring. He's had a really good fall camp. He had a really good scrimmage the other night. Uh, he was one of the first players that was brought up to me when I was getting stuff sent my way that he you know, was, was looking good, looking legit It was the, the quote that was sent to me. So hopefully, Will, as somebody who didn't play last year with that five-star profile, gets on the field in the running back position this year. Yeah, I mean, we saw this with Jordan Scarlett a few years ago that he really struggled in pass protection, and that's why Lamichael Pirine was the guy who was out there, even though Scarlett was the one who sort of had the uh, the higher pedigree, and when he was in there, ran the ball better than some of the other guys who who were normally in there on a play to play basis. Um, Mullen is right, absolutely, that there are other things to the running back position. At the same time, when you go back and look at the Vanderbilt tape or even when you look at the few plays that he was given towards the end of the Oklahoma tape, there's just something different about Lingard when he's given the ball. And I'm excited about DeMarcus Bowman, but I haven't had a real opportunity to see him carry the ball that much. I've seen Lingard carry the ball enough that I know that he's – he's got a different gear than some of these other guys. And it's been a really long time since Florida's had a guy where – you threw the ball to him or you handed the ball to him, and once he got that crease, you knew he was gone. I mean, I'm thinking like Jeff Demps and Chris Rainey are sort of like the last time that Florida had a guy of that kind of mold who where all you had to do is give him a little bit of daylight. You know, even Kadarius Tony last year, um, you know, Tony got caught from behind when he caught the ball and got mm-hmm. behind the defense sometimes. It, he was not – his change of direction was exquisite, but he was not the burner who was just going to get a little crease and take it to the house all the time. Um, 
you know, yeah, the Lingard out there. Yeah. yeah, Lingard has that ability. He flashes in a way that a Florida running back hasn't flashed in a really long time. But this is sort of the theme of the episode: is that Mullen is looking for consistency. It doesn't do him any good if Lingard rips off a twenty-two yard run and then Emory Jones get gets blindsided on the next play because he didn't pick up the linebacker who's blitzing. And so, if the defense knows you're running the ball because you can't be trusted in pass protection, you're not a whole lot of good to, to good to the offense. And so that's a big part of getting on the field, especially in this type of offense where the the quarterback is going to be the focal point and the running back is going to have to make reads and is going to have to have you know, a couple of years ago in that Miami game, there were a bunch of mesh points that got screwed up between Franks and the running back. You can't have that sort of stuff when you start playing games against Alabama and Georgia. You need to be consistent. You need to make sure that everybody um, everybody knows what they're supposed to do and is in the right spot. And that's a big part of that position. And I'm glad you kind of said that, too, because, of course, we, we've heard the talk all spring. And, in the, and recently, too, there was you know, the video of Bowman uh, against some third stringers, four stringers out there basically, you know, Making a play like he should, as with the with the profile that he has, uh, but you know Dan Mullen pretty much laying it out there. Like if you don't see those guys, this is why. You know, then it doesn't matter if you run fast. Doesn't matter if you were five star. Doesn't matter if you have that potential, as you said, Will. If one one play can't be great, and then the next play, uh, you, you hurt the offense. Dan Mullen's gonna be looking for that consistency there at the running back position. Now, I asked about Britton Cox, Will. Uh, kind of where he's at, uh, who's stepping in with him not there. And, you know, Dan Mullen said he's working good, no reps in the scrimmage because they've seen him play in the swamp before. So basically no reason to put him out there. They know what he can do. But uh, brought up some couple players here uh, that we don't hear a whole lot of. He goes, thinks that uh, with guys, Antoine Powell, he really stepped up. Lloyd Summerall stepping up, uh, working in the rotation to earn reps as well. Jeremiah Moon had a really good scrimmage. He was in the backfield a whole lot all night. So another player being able to take advantage of uh, uh, of Brent Cox not being on the field. And look, I, this early in fall camp, as I said, yeah, we want to see Brent Cox take another step, of course, uh, and, and be a dominant force out there on the field. But he's played a lot. He's got the experience. Antoine Powell, Lloyd Summerall, guys who need some more reps. I'm okay with Cox, you know, taking it slow, taking his time, and getting guys like that more reps. Because that's to me, that's what this early portion of fall camp is all about. Well, I mean, it's really sort of what fall camp is about in general, right? I mean, I'm not yeah. sure that Cox needs to be out there much at all. I think his athleticism has sort of carried him at this point. Now there's, you know, they've spent the entire offseason hopefully getting him getting him schooled up on on the film and getting him schooled up on different moves to be able to get to the quarterback. But at the end of the day, just having him in his natural position at Buck instead of having to throw him in at defensive end is going to be a huge help. And, and one of the ways you can keep him there is by developing depth behind guys like Zach Carter or getting guys who could give him a blow so that, you know, Cox is able to come out for maybe a series or able to come out for a couple of downs, get fresh, come in, and then able to beat the right or left tackle off of the off of the jump when the snap comes. So, um, you know, depth at, at every position really is, is key to any SEC season. I think this one's going to be a little bit different just because these guys have had a really long offseason. They've had the strength and conditioning, but at the same time, um, you know, it's been weird with the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. You just don't know. And, and now you're going back to 12 games. You know, you only played 10 mm -hmm. last year. Now you're going back to 12. You've got those two extra. And, and granted, you're playing some inferior teams in that group of 12 games, but at the same time, 12 football games is different than 10. And so those guys who were freshmen last year or sophomores who hadn't played, who, who played 10 games, 
I think are going to feel it a little bit when they get to that 11th or 12th game. And so depth is going to be important. And that's one of the things that you, you got to build at this point and just getting those reps. And like you mentioned, understanding what happens when the lights go on. We heard all the time about Tebow being a gamer, right? And that he was able to put things together when he got out on the field. You got to know who your gamers are. You got to know who passes in practice, practice from Tebow. were not pretty. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sometimes they weren't pretty in the game, but they got to where they needed to go. So uh, that's part of the offense. When you got one-on-one, because the defense is so afraid you're going to run and go for five, six yards every time you want to run the ball. It leaves it leaves those receivers in one-on-one coverage or just wide open. Yeah. So anyway, it's good to hear that we're getting the uh, getting some of these defensive players that we didn't see last year in there and getting them some reps, if for no other reason, so that Grantham can hold people accountable when they're not lined up correctly, when they're not executing the scheme. That was one of the things that I think frustrated fans last year is that it felt like guys who were screwing up or guys who were making mistakes were not held accountable and pulled off of the field. But some of that was just because a lot of those guys hadn't gotten a whole lot of reps because they had to use fall practice to get everybody ready because they hadn't had spring practice. And so having things sort of split out, having a full off season where everybody's together and not just doing zoom meetings. I think all of that stuff sort of lends itself to being able to build the depth and getting these guys, the reps they need. All right. Well, we'll have to change the title and the graphic of the episode. Ben Troop will not make it this week there. So uh, <laughs> when he told me he was at a Gator club meeting tonight, I was like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, we probably should have re, uh, probably should have rescheduled that at another time anyway, but uh, all right, we'll, we'll get Troop on. Uh, some other some other time, maybe later this week. We'll see uh, what goes on there. All right, well, to finish up this episode, we'll go up front on the offensive line. Uh, Dan Mullen mentioned Michael Tarquin. So we're talking about depth here. Michael Tarquin missed a few days, but should have been back today at practice on this Tuesday. Uh, Mullen says, uh, look, he's not going to throw too many people under the bus here. So no matter what your thoughts are about the offensive line, Mullen says he thinks the offensive line is doing good, trying to build depth. Thinks the offensive line they have here, – here's the thing, Will. They have about seven they're comfortable with. In an ideal world, of course, I mean, if you want to look at it, you get 10 for two deep, and 12 is pretty much the magic number uh, there for, for offensive lines. So you have some emergency personnel there uh, along the offensive line. When you cross-train, you get, you get guys that can play some different positions – 10, 12, that's the number you really want uh, there at the offensive line. Uh, and I'll extend this because he goes. He, he was explaining about personnel groupings, Will, and he goes, you can create some different things. Won't have the flexibility of a Kyle Pitts, but their multi-position guys like Pitts and Tony this year are probably maybe the running backs. Uh, you know, maybe we, we've brought up Malik Davis maybe playing a little bit more receiver. You motion those guys out to play some receiver. Uh, there's some multi-position guys at the running back position. Different ability to do different things, same as this year's quarterbacks. And this is one reason I kind of tied together, Will, the offensive line uh, in this last thought here. He goes, last year, you knew where the quarterback would be. This year, you don't, so you better account for him. So that's what's going to stress the defense is some personnel groupings that Florida can throw out there that guys can play in multiple positions. But also, and we're kind of going back to, of course, the quarterback play earlier, but tying it into the offensive line. Maybe this helps the offensive line. You knew where the quarterback was going to be when it was somebody like Kyle Trask. When it's Emory Jones, when it's Anthony Richardson, they may only be there for a second or two before they're, not, before they're no longer there and you're chasing them down and they're getting five, six, seven yards. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Bud Davis, it's at Jade. 
Jbud Davis on Twitter. He uh, he'd tweeted some stuff a while back, sort of supporting some things I'd written about the offensive line, and it was looking at run blocking versus pass blocking for the different guys on the offensive line. It turned out Gene Delance was much much better at run blocking than he was at pass blocking on a I think it was an S and P plus type basis that they were looking at for those particular stats. But the point holds, right? Is that the reason that I've been more positive about Delance than other people have been this year is because it was pretty clear that he and Stuart Reese were both better against better with the run game than they were with the pass game. And and if you factor in what you just said about not being able to pin your ears back and come after the quarterback and knowing where he's going to be, well, all of a sudden now you've sort of taken their weakness and you've mitigated that weakness by having a quarterback back there who can who can cover up some of those sorts of mistakes. And so, um, you know, we'll see. You, you mentioned they've got seven deep that they're comfortable with. That That's probably three more than they had last year would be my guess. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that's a start. Obviously, you'd love to have 10, a full two deep, and you'd love to be able yeah. to switch people in and out. But if you've got seven people you're comfortable with and you've got people cross-trained, then not only does that mean you're able to, to, to sort of weather an injury or two, but it also means, again, same thing I said earlier in, in regards to the depth on the defensive side is that if there are mistakes being made, you have the opportunity to bring someone in. And you're not necessarily disrupting the continuity of the offensive line because these guys will have spent all spring and fall playing with each other. And so, you know, you plug one guy in there, it's not completely different, which is kind of what we saw last year in the LSU game. They tried to make some changes. They brought in mm-hmm. Braun and had him at right tackle, and the offensive line wasn't any better. And the reason it wasn't any better in many cases, I'm sure, wasn't necessarily the skill level of the guys, but instead the fact that those guys hadn't played together very much throughout the year and no real continuity – and no trust. And that's the big thing in the offensive line is you got to trust that the guy next to you is going to do his job or at least know what his job is. He's not always going to do his job. He's going to know what his job is. And so you end up, you don't try to sort of squeeze to pe- catch a blitz pickup because you know the guy next to you has it. You know, you, you fire out of your stance because you know that the guy who's pulling around is going to pull around and do a good job on the linebacker. And so you got to get your defensive lineman out of the way. Um, that sort of trust that you build up is built up in camp. And and I think we saw that last year with a lot of different programs that historically have been able to run the ball and weren't able to run the ball quite as well last year, had to rely on the pass. Some of that was that secondaries were just pretty bad last year too. But I think some of that is is that um, passing games were just sort of ahead of run games and, and the ability to pass block was ahead of some of the run blocking offensive line stuff that needed to be done. So the hope is, is that this year, the time that these guys have had together, the continuity they've had together, and quite honestly, some changes that might need Need to be made based on the strengths and weaknesses of the guys up front. The fact that they have seven guys they're comfortable with means they can make those changes. I think that's a significant thing. Um, again, just if it means just if it's because you're able to hold people accountable if they make mistakes. All right. So I'm trying to think of the seven here. So Garage, White, Aguaken, Reese. I know everybody doesn't want to hear it. Delance is in there. Bronze in there. That's six. So he brings up Tarquin who's missing a few practices. I'm assume I'm gonna assume Tarquin. This is seventh. Yeah, I, yeah. I say that's that's part of the problem. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Is whoever that seventh is. So, uh, yeah, if it's not Tarquin, I don't, I, I don't know who it would be. But uh, it'd really help if they let us watch these scrimmages. <laughs> it would. It would. I mean, let me let me. Okay, I'm pull the depth. I mean, yeah, Reese White, of course. Yeah, Simons, Harad, haven't heard much about Richard Leonard. Haven't heard much about. You know, it's not Yusuf McGarble, the true freshman. I will say, um, Austin Barber, the true freshman, had a tra- Trinity Christian Jacksonville, had a really nice block at right tackle for that Bowman run, springing, springing him open. But as I said, you know, those are, those are 
scout third, 14 guys there uh, that, that are getting there. So, uh, yeah, Glenn, uh, Braun, you know, Gerald Mincy. Yeah, the six we mentioned for sure. Uh, and the ones we've mentioned pretty much in that rotation uh, for trying to figure out maybe if Aguaken wins the center job, what is that? What's the chain reaction for the rest of the offensive line? We've pretty much spoken about the same six guys all offseason. Um, I'm going to assume it's Tarkin, but I have no idea. So that's going to say part of the problem for me. if they added a seventh, that's good because, like I said yeah. last year, they probably were sitting about four, four and a half. And, uh, we're, we're only comfortable listing six right now, so I'm glad they feel <laughs> seven. <laughs> well, we'll see when the lights come on, man. You, you know as well as I do that this is lion season. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, the, they're going to come out and, you know, Anthony Richardson isn't going to see a ball all season long and Emory Joe's <laughs> going to light things up and he's never going to run because he's just going through all of his progressions and firing the ball all over the place. And, you know, Kyrie Elam, they'll play at star, even though they told us he'd be a corner all year. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. You, you look at all this stuff. There's a reason they close things off, right? I mean, yep. one of the reasons they close yep. things off is to control the flow of information. Um, both from a good perspective and also from a bad perspective and make sure that when Alabama comes to the swamp, that, that Alabama's not going to know what to do, right? That they're going to take it to that point. Will I mean, you see all the highlights FSU is putting out there, their scrimmage and stuff, and they are just getting hammered by, I mean, mostly by good nation, of course, but I'm sorry. Some of the highlights they're putting out there. How do you call those highlights? (laughs) I don't know. Well, you know, it's funny because, well, maybe not funny, but um, one of the things that I wondered when when Baden passed away a couple of weeks ago or last week, I guess, was that he was that program. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Jimbo Fisher took uh, took over and Fisher has proven himself to be a very good coach. I don't know that you call him great. I don't think he's at the level of like a Nick Saban or something like that, but he, he's good. Right. Able to win national championships. And if you don't have that level of coach, and we've seen this in Florida with with Will Muschamp and with Jim McElwain, if you don't have that level of coach, your program is going to struggle. The difference is that Florida is a is an elite blue blood program in an elite conference. So I think you can kind of get away with those lulls. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Florida State if they end up in sort of these extended lulls, if Norvell is not a guy who can turn them around is that really as attractive a job as some of the other ones in the past. Bowden made it an attractive job, right? He took them from nothing and built them up. It doesn't take a real long time to sort of, sort of, you know, atrophy back to where you were. I mean, we're seeing that with Nebraska right now, right? That, that, you know, they, they get Scott Frost in there, but he hasn't been able to turn around. Bull Pelini going nine and three every year wasn't enough for everybody. And ever since Tom Osborne left, basically that program has really sort of, hit the skids in some capacity. And so, you know, it's not guaranteed that you're going to be an elite program. That's one of the things that's really awesome about being a Gator fan is I think the fans have such high expectations and put their money where their mouth is when it comes to supporting the program that, that Florida is never going to have that, that extended lull because of the conference they're in and because of the way the program gets supported. Yeah, but the man's there. It can't, it can't go on too long. I mean, Jim McElwain was fired after three years. So, I mean, come on. After, you know, we, we know it wasn't pretty. He did go to two SEC champions, and there were some off-field issues too. But still, uh, if the demand wasn't there, he, you know, he probably would have been head coach for another year or two uh, before a, man, uh, a move is made. So, yeah, man. I, I guess we get, really, get rid of really Tiger after, uh, uh, what, 20 games? Something like that? If, I mean, if that – 16 games, something? I don't know. <laughs> Lethal simplicity, man. Lethal simplicity. <laughs> Look, here's the funny thing. When he comes to the swamp with FAU, 
He didn't. He never even coached in the swamp as the FSU's head coach. It was the first year was a head was a home game, and he never even made it to the end of the second year. So yeah, well, unfo- unfortunately for it's with FAU, not FSU. Well, unfortunately for Willie, he took over uh, Lane Kiffin's offense, and they immediately ranked in the bottom 100 of of, of FBS last year. So, so I'm starting to think it might have been Quentin Flowers there at USF that sort of made that offense go, rather than the geniuses who were who were coordinating blame, the offense. I'm going to blame Jimbo again. <laughs> hey, I'm all for it, man. If that place is a dumpster fire, it's it's entertaining if nothing else. <laughs> all right that is will miles you can find him on the site reading reaction well i think he said what you have a anthony richardson look coming up on the reading reaction right yeah there's an anthony richardson look going up uh hopefully tomorrow and then uh and then nick and i he, he didn't record the stand up and holler that we did last night so we have to re-record it and uh that should be out tomorrow as well well at least you know what you're gonna talk about and you'll be you'll be well you'll be well versed. I've like, never anyway, done that before. Say, my wife can't say anything. That's happened to us before too. So I can't. Uh, my wife just laughed and laughed. She's like, basically, you spent an hour talking to yourself in the basement. I'm like, pretty much. So we did that for what our Florida Georgia preview like two years ago, I think something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was terrible. We had to preview the Georgia game twice. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was uh, oof. yeah, okay, but. uh Better times now. <laughs> you get to do it again. So <laughs> you have better equipment. Those views are paid for equipment to make sure you double record. Oh man, we all forgot to hit live on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. I have other engagements. <laughs> all right, all right, guys. That's Will Miles. You can find him at Reading Reaction and his site. Um, or his site, Reading Reaction, and on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.